Welcome, JC Peeps, to the Junction City Podcast. I'm your host today, Colby Peterson. We have another uh, in a series of podcasts that we're going to be doing where we introduce you to candidates who are running for the state house or the state legislature here, or even maybe the, the county commission here in Weber County. And uh, all of them, Weber Democrats, we'll like to introduce you to them helped you to get to know them and hopefully be a part of their campaign as we get closer and closer to election day on November 3rd. With me today, I have John Miles. John, how you doing? Hey, good to be here. Awesome. And our guest today, Mr. Steve Olson, who is running in House District 9, which includes downtown Ogden, um, the northern part of Roy, and parts of the eastern part of West Haven. Steve, how are you doing today? Doing great. Good to talk to you guys. We're appreciative for you as well, Steve, to come on the show and chat a little bit about your views on the issues that face Utahns, especially the folks here up, up here in Weber County. Uh, but before we do uh, hop into our conversation, we want to encourage the JC peeps. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show, whether that's through Apple podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, any of those places you can find the show. And also don't forget to join our Facebook forum. It's the Junction City Forum on Facebook. That's where a lot of our conversations happen outside of the show. It's a place where the JC peeps can interact. It's where our polls go. And it's a place where you can share some of the things that you're thinking, or if you have a great event that you want to share, you want to share? that's the spot to do it as well. So, Oh, and finally, if you haven't already, please tell your friends about the Junction City Podcast. That's how we grow the show and continue to grow the, uh, the following. So with that, Steve, we wanted to uh, jump in, talk a little bit about who is Steve Olson, give the JC Peeps an idea of who you are, a little bit about your bio, and uh, what motivated you to run for House District 9 in 2020. Well, I'm uh, kind of a typical Utah. Um, Born, uh, raised up in the the uh, rural area of Cache County, uh, south of Logan. Uh, I still have that uh, Cache Valley hick twang, and proud of it. Uh, I uh, went to school, uh, Utah State, and became an engineer, and uh, uh, moved uh, my my young wife and. And I and our young family moved to Weber County in uh, 1983 and have lived here ever since. Uh, we raised our children in uh, Plain City. Um, but about seven years ago, my, my wife had always had this uh, goal sometime in life to uh, own one of the old uh, pioneer era Victorian style homes in Ogden. And uh, so seven years ago, I... Uh, cut her loose and she went and found a real estate agent and we ended up in our, our little beautiful home uh, built by one of Warren Farr's sons in 1892. That's awesome. And uh, we, uh, we love it here. Uh, we love the, the diversity of uh, central Ogden. Um, I've uh, had the privilege the last four years of uh, serving as bishop of our um, uh, Latter-day Saint ward in this area and it's one of, that's one of the things I think that's helped me prepare for serving uh, the the people of this district uh, uh, we help a lot of people in this part of Ogden uh, a lot of people are struggling and you know they're not lazy deadbeats uh, they're working hard trying the best they can but due to uh, uh, health issues uh uh, support systems and other things they they're trying the best they can and falling out falling short and so i i'm hoping to be able to 
uh, have some influence to make things easier uh, for that portion of the population that I'll be representing in the House District 9. And hey, so Steve, I, oh, sorry. Go ahead, I've, uh, I, I've known you a while. I've always known you to be a really devout guy. And um, that is very, like, that's very intertwined with your political identity, you know, your, your religious identity also. And I've always been curious if that's something that you grew up with or, I, I mean, were you raised a Democrat? Were your family Democrats or was that something you evolved into? That's a really good question, John. I'm glad you asked it. I, I was a typical Utah up until about the mid-90s where uh, I just assumed that because I was a Mormon that I'm a, I had to be a conservative Republican. That's how I self-identified. I, I uh, voted for, for Reagan, um, uh, George H.W. Bush. Um, so, uh, you know, my background it was as a, I, I thought I was a Republican. Uh, things started to change when Newt Gingrich and Tom DeLay came along. You know, my, my uh, angel mother and my primary teachers taught me about uh, kindness and respect and how you treat people. And those guys were just mean. And it kind of turned me off. And, uh, you know, about the same time, you, we started to have people like uh, Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity. And those guys were mean, too. Mm. And it's like, this isn't, this isn't the way I was taught. And so it, it caused me to start to re-examine how I felt about things. And I think it was a uh, year 2000, about 20 years ago, when, uh, you know, every two years, uh, members of the, of the church uh, in, in March of even numbered years, uh, their bishop gets up and reads this letter encouraging people to go to their neighborhood caucus meetings. And just on a whim, I thought, I'm, I'm going to go to the Democrat one this year. And, huh. and so out in Plain City, I, I went and met with uh, a lot of the people in that community that I knew that were, were wonderful people um, and, and friends. And I had no idea they were Democrats. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I went to that uh, neighborhood uh, caucus meeting. And, of course, in Utah, if you're a Democrat, you show up at caucus meetings and, and you can automatically be a county delegate and you show up at the county convention, you can be a state delegate. And so I did all that that year and, and uh, this made this odd discovery that Utah Democrat values aligned a lot better with the way I was raised than where the Republican Party was. At the so that, that's kind of where, how I ended up where I am. I, I joke about this, you know, people ask, who, uh, who converted you to be a Democrat? And you know, my, my answer is Sean Hannity and Newt Gingrich, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is one of my favorite things about your politics is that it, it's very doctrine. I, I mean, not that – I mean, you're – you just have this attitude that it's like, you know, Jesus says help your neighbor. That's what we're trying to do. I don't know why you'd be doing anything but being a Democrat, you know. I've always yeah. appreciated that. Yeah, you know, and even some of the more controversial things, uh, a lot of my friends and neighbors are are uh, saying, you know, I hate Trump and he's a nasty guy, but Kamala, Kamala Harris 
wants to kill babies right before they're born. And, you know, I, I actually welcome those kind of discussions because it allows me to explain how the, the abortion thing, there's some subtleties there that you can be very passionate about the sacredness of unborn life and still be skeptical about getting the government involved in deciding when the proper exceptions apply. Absolutely. So uh, right. even some of the, some of the uh, more controversial things, I, I like it when people bring those up because it allows me to, to uh, you know, explain that it's not as clear cut as you think. And uh, so I enjoy those discussions. No, it's okay. It's a great point, Steve. And it's something I, I like to remind folks that, you know, if you are a person in the church who is completely against abortion altogether, you are to the right of the church's policy. The church allows for abortion in the case of rape, incest, and threats of the life of the mother. And uh, those are very wide parameters, and there are decisions to be made between the family and the doctor. And so it's it's always interesting to, when we have those conversations with folks because they're like, are you serious? Like, yeah, no, that's 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 where they're at. So I agree. I uh, Since I ran for Congress, I've been asking the same question. You know, let's say Roe v. Wade is repealed. Um, uh, Utah passes an anti-abortion law that allows for exceptions. The next day, uh, two 15-year-old girls come forward, say they've been raped. One's, one's lying, the other one's telling the truth. How do you decide which one's telling the truth? And and, and nobody has a good answer for that. One guy said, well, do a police investigation. Police investigations take a long time. But but even with that, let's say the girl says, well, she actually names her attacker. This this boy raped me. I go talk to the boy. Oh, she's lying. It was consensual. You know, you go down that rabbit hole and there's just no good answers. And so what I tell people, instead of fighting about it, there are countries in the in the world where abortion is legal and very very rare. We gotta go study what they did, and and I think uh, we need to concentrate more on preventing unwanted pregnancies in the first place. And then when uh, you know someone, a woman gets pregnant and and can't afford to to uh, carry the child, maybe. Maybe if we applied a few more carrots and a few less sticks, we could uh, make that situation work better. So I just think, uh, you know, if, if you love and, are, and believe unborn life is sacred, that uh, you ought to be willing to talk to some of us on the other side and see if we can find some common ground and actually solve the problem rather than throwing M80s at each other. <laughs> So that's that's my story for what it's worth. <laughs> I like I like that we're getting right into the controversial stuff. I like this, Steve. This is great. <laughs> but uh, but you did bring up a, an important piece right there where you talked about solving problems. That's been a key piece of your campaign. I think your tagline for this year's campaign is hire a professional problem solver. I wondered if you might talk a little bit more about what that means. I, I appreciate that. Uh, I've spent my career as an engineer in Utah's manufacturing industry, where we solve difficult problems uh, using facts and data. Uh, kind of towards the latter part of my career, 
I've uh, received special training in uh, Six Sigma methodology, uh, and I'm a, a trained Six Sigma consultant. It's a special uh, black belt huh? batch of techniques for working. I am nice uh, working uh, with teams and using facts and data and, and evidence to solve problems. And uh, that led to about nine years ago, I, I received a special assignment at my employer, Autoleave, which is a, a major uh, uh, automotive supplier, uh, to be a, a literally a global problem-solving com- consultant. I serve as a, a consultant and an advisor, technical advisor to uh, executive management in Stockholm. And uh, I, I work with global teams to solve difficult problems. Uh, just last year, I, uh, I and a, a co-worker received Gottlieb's Global Innovation Award for a, a project we did that uses artificial intelligence to uh, find anomalies in airbag deployments. And so, you know, I know how to think out of the box. I know how to work with teams. I'm, I'm a, a lifetime statistics practitioner, um, and I know how to dig information out of data. I'm, I'm an expert on how to t- put data into graphs, and so normal people like managers can understand the story that you're trying to tell. And I think a lot of those uh, techniques and a lot of that training could, uh, could help uh, all of our legislators to to approach problems in a more scientific way there's there's 75 of us down there and you might ask how can one person have that much of an effect i I think i might be in a a unique position to be able to do that by uh, uh, getting that culture of of working together in teams uh, doing things based on evidence rather than ideology i think i can have an outsized uh, influence on how things are done down there. Well, that's great. And, uh, you know, I, I can vouch for that because uh, I, I was in the MBA program at Weber State and I took a data analytics and visualization course and we spent a lot of time in a class just trying to make data make sense. And there are lots of, there are lots of different ways. You know, we spent a lot of time in, uh, I'm trying to remember what the, what the software is called, but you're just trying to make this data make sense and uh, that was a whole thing in and of itself. We weren't even generating the data. We were just trying to make it make sense. So kudos to you for doing it regularly because it's a skill for sure. Yeah. Well, Steve, I, I wanted to talk a little bit more about, um, we have a couple of key things that have been kind of in my mind that I've been chatting with the candidates about, and I wanted to kind of get your take on them. So the first one is, in 2018, we had a number of ballot initiatives passed. We had Proposition 2, which was medical cannabis. We had Proposition 3, which was Medicaid expansion. And we had Proposition 4, which was Better Boundaries, which was the gerrymandering proposition to kind of help Utah have healthier boundaries in terms of how legislative districts get drawn. And your district, House District 19, I think is a poster child for exactly what not to do when putting together a legislative district. So currently, your district includes inner city Ogden, downtown Ogden, the northern part of Roy City, and the eastern part of West Haven, which is a much, so we have, it was a very rural community. So we have a very rural community mixed with a very urban community. And it's just, it, 
I understand why they did it. It was to shore up to water down the blue votes that exist within Ogden City with red votes in West Haven. But I, I wanted to get your take on some of those ballot initiatives, kind of what your thoughts are. And had you been in the legislature in 2019, in the following year, how would you have handled some of the, uh, the ballot initiatives and, you know, potential changes that did need to happen, but also still keeping with the will of the people? Yeah, it's a really good question. When I ran for Congress as, as a greenie back in 2006, um, and, and by the way, up to this, uh, up to this year, um, I did better against uh, Rob Bishop than, than anyone else did, uh, except for the first year he ran. So it was a pretty successful campaign. Of course, we lost. But uh, one of the things I, interesting things I learned, uh, uh, Jim Matheson was a congressman, uh, a respected Democratic congressman. And I had a chat with his um, Utah uh, chief of staff uh, during that campaign. And uh, he said, you know, Jim has three things, points of view that he uses to make decisions on how he's going to vote. He looks at what the people he represent. He looks at what they want. Um, he uh, looks at uh, his own uh, feelings about the issue. And the third thing is he, he looks at how the Democratic Party would approach the issue. And he, he named those three things, and he said, the thing about Jim is that first one is the most important. How the people that he represents, how, what, they're, what they want to have done, that's number one. That's the number one thing he uses to make a decision. And those other two, even his own opinions, uh, come in second and third. I, I think that's how... Somebody with the, the title of representative, that's how they should think. Um, I, I believe that title is sacred. And uh, as you've hinted, those three ballot initiatives uh, had a significant majorities in District 9 vote for all three of them. And it just made me angry. You know, it's, the, the votes tallies came in and it looked like they all passed and and good, we're going to get some things done. And then the legislature went into session, and they started to water them all down and change them. And it's like, man, I didn't know they could do that. Why would they do that? Um, so uh, I can promise that uh, if we have ballot initiatives in the future, and, and I'm going to go out of my way to – listen to my constituents and find out what, what they want me to do. And, and like uh, Congressman Matheson, that's, that's going to be the number one uh, thing that makes me decide how to approach the issues. Well, I just got to say, back in 2009 or 10, I remember this is one of the first things when I met you, uh, you were working on, it was a ballot initiative back then. Uh, I can't remember what it was. It called Fair Boundaries? It's called Fair Boundaries then, yeah. Yeah. Right. And so Steve had the county pushing for it back then. And back then, the legislature sort of more preemptively railroaded all of it. And, and before all of the signatures got turned in for the ballot initiative, then the legislature sort of came through and did away with it. So there was this clever new thing. But I just remember that was uh, – it was all of it. It was sort of Steve explaining to me. I was like, how can they do this? And Steve was like, you know. 
no, they know how to play the game. Yeah. You know, it's what happened with District Nine is is really quite obvious. During the aughts, uh, Neil Hansen was uh, oh, yeah. uh, the re, uh, was the HD9 representative, and of all the Democrats on Capitol Hill, the Republicans hated him the most. They they just hated his guts. And it's pretty obvious that they uh, made it so that uh, uh, Neil would not be able to join their ranks again. Uh, he because he was the seat in in two thousand eight, I think, right? He was holding District Nine, right? Yeah. Right. And so, uh, you know, the, I, I mentioned that I, I um, you know, think that the title representative is sacred. But uh, when you have three quite different communities in your district, that's going to make that difficult. I'm going to do my best uh, to listen to all three of those communities. But there are many things where where those three communities have uh, diverging needs and, and wants. And so it's going to make it difficult. Can do the best I can, though. The, uh, one of the big things that, that's important this year, and it's why uh, there are groups in, in Utah that are working really hard to get Democrats elected, is because redistricting's coming up again. Mm-hmm. And, and anyone who thinks that that, that vote of the people on fair boundaries that the Republicans are just going to say, okay, we'll go along with that. That's a neat thing. Uh, have not been paying attention. <laughs> the only way we're going to get fair boundaries uh, for the next decade is, is to have enough Democrats in the legislature to put a stop to the shenanigans. Right. And the supermajority. I agree. And it's something we've talked about quite a few times here on the show uh, about the supermajority in the state legislature makes it so that Republicans don't necessarily have to have their votes in public. They can go behind closed doors, have a closed caucus meeting where they can hash it out amongst themselves and decide exactly what they're going to do. And then when they finally do come out of the room, it's already been decided because they don't need a single Democratic vote to pass their agenda. So if you break the supermajority, it then forces them to have to come out of the shadows and say, okay, we're going to have to do the will, the, the business of the people in front of the people, which will show where some of the cracks happen. And so we've been preaching that, that exact gospel on this show for the past year, that we need more Democrats in the state legislature, that the state needs balance, and that a conversation between the two sides produces the best policy, and one side railroading the other side produces bad policy, and we've seen it over and over again in state politics. Absolutely. Um, One of those policies that I wanted to bring up, Steve, and I wanted to get your take on this is this year on the ballot, there will be a question about whether or not to change the constitutional earmark for education funding. So as it sits currently, all state income taxes go toward education. They go in a fund that is specifically for education only. Last year, state representatives, both in the Senate and in the House, went all around the state holding, quote unquote, town halls and asking people what they wanted. Then there was a very, very quick session in December where they tried to pass this tax reform bill. The tax reform bill was very unpopular, and in spite of the challenges of overturning it through the will of the people, that happened. There were enough signatures to overturn that bill so that they essentially repealed it as soon as the state legislature went into general session. I wanted to ask, Steve, what are your thoughts on 
education in the state? Where can we improve? And what, what's your take on potentially repealing the constitutional mandate that all income taxes go toward education? Well, first off, uh, I'm glad you brought up the tax bill of 2019. I'm going to do a mailer on that, and I'm going to have some fun with it. Good. Uh, the process that they use to come up with that tax bill is a textbook example of how not to solve a problem. <laughs> uh, I, I beat it. You know, I could write that up and submit it, and it would, you know, the, the design for Six Sigma uh, textbooks would uh, love that example. Uh, it was just a poor process, which is why we came up with a, uh, a poor bill uh, that had a lot of public opposition. And of course, uh, uh, Mr. Musselman uh, voted for it. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to remind people of that. Uh, so you can that, count on that. So Cal Musselman, who lives in West Haven, is your opponent in this year. That's show. correct. That's correct. Um, I'm a, a facts and data guy. And, and one of the things I've learned over the years is uh, with problem solving is, is when you start thinking about how you want to, what the problem is, you have to keep an open mind and, and you have to do the hard mental work of trying to come up with a, a good description of what it is you're trying to accomplish. And, and that early mental work, one of the important uh, things that's really hard for people is to keep the solution out of the problem statement. If you make a problem, if you come up with a problem statement that presupposes a solution, then you're going to waste your time. You have to, you have, to have a good problem statement that is solution neutral. And, and then you can start working on brainstorming, uh, benchmarking, you know, other, in this case, uh, other states have, have probably faced situations where the tax uh, stream was a little bit out of balance. And, and what can you learn from that? Um, and so people have, uh, I know a lot of Democrats have uh, made the statement that they are totally against um, using income tax money for anything but education. Um, I, I need to study that a little bit more before I'm going to make that blanket statement. Mm -hmm. One thing I would say, um, and not to presuppose a solution here, but if uh, after really studying it and looking at the data, uh, you, we came up with a solution where maybe uh, the first five and a half percent of the tax receipts, uh, as far as percentage that people pay, uh, goes to education, but then uh, have a progressive tax for more wealthy uh, Utahns uh, over and above that, that portion that goes to education, uh, where, you know, much is given, much is expected. That's a principle we believe in, in our religion. Uh, people that are making a little more money, uh, maybe there's some sort of a extra income tax that that wealthier people would pay over and above what goes to education and you would get uh, money for uh, social services and other important government um, functions from that fund rather than 
increasing the tax three times on food, which is what they tried to do in 2019. Uh, my wife and I are fairly uh, affluent. Uh, would I be willing to pay a higher income tax to keep my children and grandchildren from having to pay more food tax? I'd sign up for that in a heartbeat. And I think uh, uh, most uh, uh, well-off Utahns would do the same. So uh, I, I try to keep an open mind on things, but I certainly believe that care of our children uh, not just education, but their nutritional needs, their health needs. That is the, economically, that is the best investment we can make. If, if we want to print money as a state in the future, we need to invest in our children. And we're not doing a good enough job of that. Um, of, it's interesting, Republicans uh, talk about... Uh, how uh, people that earn a lot of money uh, deserve it because they're smart. Well, if we want, if using that philosophy, if we want smart, good teachers to go into that profession, we need to uh, have a salary that will get uh, some of our best and brightest young people into it. And so uh, there's no question that we need to invest more in education and we need to work with teachers, the professionals in the in education field to uh, uh, come up with innovative ideas for strengthening our neighborhood schools, which really are a, a foundation of our, our communities. That's great. Um, I wanted to maybe shift gears a little bit and uh, ask about campaigning in this in the time of COVID-19. Uh, as I'm sure everybody, all the JC peeps know, COVID-19 has obviously made it very, very difficult to campaign in the traditional way in 2020. Had to get very creative with some digital solutions. The Junction City Podcast has tried to help with that with things like our digital town hall that we hosted last Thursday night with the Weaver Democrats. We'll be hosting a few more of those with other county parties in the, in the coming weeks. But Steve, I wanted to ask, as a candidate, um, what are some particular things that you've had to get creative with in your campaigning this year that have been different from years past? Well, um, one could say I'm running a bit of an experiment this year. Um, when it comes to you know, a, a political campaign is analogous to um, a business where you're trying to sell something and make, make money, for example. Uh, if, if I had a, a business I was going to start, there's two questions uh, uh, about promoting this product. One is how I'm going to advertise the product. And the other one is, what is there about the product itself that is appealing? Uh, I think with uh, political candidates, and I've been a big proponent of this over the years, that, that Utah Democrats have to have good resumes. Uh, if, if we're going to get people to change gears and vote for somebody other than the party that they voted for for years and years, we need to give them uh, a reason to do so. And so I believe fairly strongly, and I <laughs> hope I don't come across as being vain here because I'm, I'm a humble person, but I think that the message that we have 
that uh, I have something different to offer uh, the, the people of Utah and the people of the Ninth District um, and, and have a reason for people to look at me as, as a different type of candidate, uh, that, that that message is maybe more important than the method of marketing that we use to get it across. Um, so that, that's a quick introduction. Uh, my wife and I are in, in, my, in our mid-60s. Uh, previous campaigns, I've knocked doors like crazy. And uh, this year, we've chosen not to do that. A uh, couple of reasons. I, I am a, an inner-city Ogden bishop, and I'm very busy with, with helping people in my ward. Sure. But uh, with the COVID thing, I, I really want to be in the legislature, but even more, I want to be not dead. And uh, I, I met, my wife and I are in a category where we kind of have to be careful. And, and I've got a kitchen cabinet, uh, people uh, in the friends and family in the community. And, and they've uh, at least the, the people talking to me said, you know, I really don't want strangers on my doorstep. Yeah. That's, that's not something I'm interested in this year. And so what our uh, – the other thing that uh, that uh, some candidates have done is uh, worked uh, phone banks really hard. We've done that uh, calling uh, friendlies to get lawn signs and locations and volunteers, and I think there's a place for that. But but even with that effort, uh, my volunteers, me and my volunteers making phone calls, you, these days you get about one person in five that actually answers the phone. That's I know fair. I don't. No, that's fair. Uh, when, when I get a call and I re don't recognize the number, I, I let them take a message. And so uh, the, the phone banking is, is really, really an inefficient. The phone banking is a really inefficient way of uh, spending your time. And so uh, we're, uh, we're relying largely on mailers. Uh, that's where the bulk of our spending is going. We're doing... Uh, six mailers, uh, three of them are going to pretty much all the registered voters in the district. Uh, and the other three are going to a, a smaller set of those. And those three uh, are going to be more tuned towards uh, uh, progressive values and, and, and uh, issues. And so that, that's where we're spending our money uh, is on mailers this year. Well, um, I, like, do you get a sense that there is a conventional wisdom in the time of COVID as to what is the right thing to do? I mean, there kind of was always this consensus that knocking is most effective, mailing maybe second most, calling maybe third most. Well, I mean, calling might be in second most. But I mean, even those things sort of get debated. So have people landed on a conventional wisdom or is, I mean, are people, are the campaigns pretty varied in how they're approaching it? Yeah, I I think there's a lot of variation in even within Weber County. Some some of my fellow candidates uh, agree that you know meeting people face to face is maybe not wise, but they're doing uh, lit drops where they have volunteers go to the door and put door hangers on. Um, as a facts and data guy, I've I've yet to be um, convinced that a door hanger. Is going people are going to pay more attention to that than something they get in their mailbox. Yeah, and and so and and you need lots of volunteers to do that. 
yeah, when you uh, go to the post so, office, let's support those guys, right? Yeah, yeah. The post uh, postal workers are good union members, uh, and, right. and a lot of times good Democrats. So we got to definitely got to support them. That's We've right. talked to them here on this show. In fact, we had uh, Philip Rodriguez and uh, and Chad Mortensen from the Letter Carriers Union on back in July. Talk about the crisis that USPS suffers and. Also, you know, what, what that means for Weber County folks. So definitely familiar to the JC peeps. Anyways, to, how many as a, do you think you're doing? Um, we're doing six, uh, six rounds of mailers. Three of them are going to, to 7,500 homes, which is basically everybody. Right. And, uh, and the other three are going to 5,000 homes. Nice. Yeah, that's a good amount. That's solid. I, yeah, we, we get a lot of we get a lot of touches that way. So you know, basically, as a, as a wrap up, uh, I think I think I have a message this year that gives people a reason to vote for differently than they normally do uh, uh, on the Republican side. And uh, I think uh, when you have a really good message, the method that you're using to market that maybe is not quite as critical. So we'll see how that experiment works out on election day. Yeah. So you're saying substance over tactics, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. You know. yeah, yeah. Precisely. Got it. Well, Steve, we appreciate you being willing to chat a little bit about your views on the issues and kind of what has drawn you into the race. Uh, I wondered if you might tell the JC peeps how they might get more involved with your campaign, where they might donate, whether time or money. Uh, what's the best way to get a hold of you and your campaign team? Uh, I've got a website, uh, Steve for Utah, one word, uh, number nine dot com. So Steve for Utah nine dot com. Uh, I've got uh, from the the uh, I think the third week of March till the middle of August, I I wrote a weekly blog, uh, which is available on my uh, website. And so you want to know what Steve Olson thinks about things. I'm I'm not. Uh, holding back. There are blogs there on a lot of different subjects where I, I talk about my feelings. Literally an uh, open book. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and there are links there to donate. Uh, money is always welcome. Uh, the word of mouth is important. Uh, a, a good friend of mine from work, uh, who's a, actually a Republican delegate, uh, asked for one of my signs. And when I delivered it, he said, give me three more of those. I'm going to go talk to my neighbors and have them put your signs up too. So, uh, you know, shoot, shoot me an email. Uh, the email's available on my website. Uh, if you don't have one of my lawn signs, uh, shoot me an email. We'll bring you one. And maybe you have neighbors that would like them too. Uh, and uh, just talk us up and, and encourage people to vote uh, and mainly vote. Uh, we, we need to have a good turnout. I, I think if we, we have a, a high turnout that, that we, uh, we win this thing. Yeah, I think you're right, Steve, because, um, you know, word of mouth is the gold standard in marketing. If you have a person who without incentive tell somebody else about a product or a candidate simply because they're, you know, they're for that thing or they find value there, uh, that's, 
that's not something that can be purchased. You, you, so I think that what you're telling the JC peeps is be sure to tell your neighbors. If you live in house district nine, if you're not sure where, you, what house district you live in, go to vote.utah.gov and put your information in that will tell you who your house district candidates will be, but also tell your friends and uh, encourage them to vote because of course the folks listening to the show are probably very motivated to be out there and voting this year, but like Steve said, if you're a person who wants to increase the voter turnout, you need to get more people than just yourself voting. And that means family. That means friends, making sure everybody's registered to vote and ready to get out there when ballots drop and turn them back in, whether that's through the Postal Service with a stamp or just dropping them off at your local municipal or library office to in the little box. Either way is great. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Steve. It's good to see you. Yeah, John. Uh Good talk to you, especially uh, the old friend that we've uh, worked in the trenches together. Yes, glad, glad to uh, see you're doing well. Yeah, you too. Stay well. Good. Um, well, with that, JC Peeps, we want to thank you for checking out another one of our Meet the Candidate episodes. We'll have more upcoming in the coming weeks. Um, so stay tuned for those in addition to the regular shows. But for now, we'll say goodbye. And like we say every week, all politics is local. That's right. Amen. <laughs> it goes a one, two, three. Yeah, it's just another podcast. It's just-